Hey everyone, welcome to the Health Hacked Podcast. My name is Andy Kraft. And I'm Aaron Kraft. Today, we are going to cover overcoming baldness, Mark Cuban's uh, new online pharmacy company, CBD for COVID, electroconvulsive therapy for depression, and the conspiracy of cereal for heart health. All right, kick us off, Aaron, with baldness. Yeah, very interesting story about people who are, or for people who are bald and are looking for, you know, growing some some luscious locks again. Some people just can't quite pull off the bald look. You know, Vin Diesel, The Rock, those guys look great bald. Some people just don't, and they want to grow their hair. Um, so interesting findings on a potential cure for people who are bald and want to grow hair once again. So essentially, people are born with all of the hair follicles they'll ever have. What you're born with is what you have, and and that's it. That's kind of luck of the draw. Um, And it is up to the stem cells within those hair follicles to determine whether hair is going to grow or not. And it's dependent on a lot of different things, obviously your sex, um, aging, genetics, testosterone, uh, cancer can impact this, COVID can even impact this. Um, So those stem cells will either grow in that follicle or not. And over time, those stem cells can lessen or or not work as well, and they can completely die off depending upon those factors. So once a stem stem cell within the follicle stops working, it's basically over. It won't produce hair anymore, um, and you're going to go bald at that point. So there is a startup working on restoring those dead stem cells. Um, Their work in this field has really grown exponentially over the past few years with notable things like CRISPR, which does gene editing. Um, in this case, the they're trying to basically grow hair uh, by taking ordinary cells. So like just even cells like from your skin, taking those and then reprogramming those cells to act similar to the stem cells within the hair follicle. In other words, basically bringing those dead stem cells back to life. Um, they actually had a very interesting, uh, we can put this picture in the show notes, but they took a uh, a rat, like a naked rat, or I think it was actually a mouse. So a naked mouse without any hair. They took human stem cells, human reprogrammed stem cells and put it on just like one area of the mouse and like it grew thick hair. So like human hair? Complete, he, uh, yeah. I, like well, it, look, it was thick, it was thick hair. Yeah, it it looks like human hair. It's really That's weird. Um, so there is a potential for this. Again, this is a very small like this. They just tested this on a mouse. Uh, it's a really kind of gross picture. It's like a naked mouse with just like a one inch patch of hair. Um, so I'll have to put that in the show notes if you want to take a look at it. But uh, very interesting for what the future holds. I mean, I I truly believe that within. 10, 20 years, this is people, baldness will be an option, a choice. I mean, it's crazy what people can do or what the um, the progression of what we know about stem cells and, and gene editing, just the research behind it has grown so much in the past even 10 years. And I think there's going to be so much that we can do with it for better or for worse. Um, lots of controversy around it and around how it can be used. But I mean, this is one area where seems like it could be beneficial for some people. Yeah. Uh, I think I think we are going to get to a point where baldness is a is a choice. It's it, which is funny because I feel like now baldness is becoming more common and more mm-hmm. 
you know, accepted. Like the the bald people in society are no longer, you know, thought lower as they once were. <laughs> and you know, probably thanks to people like Vin Diesel and The yeah. Rock. I think mm-hmm. it's unfortunate, but I think th- the more in shape you are, the more you can pull off a bald look. Mm, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. And maybe that's just because we've seen like celebrities like that. But if you start bald, like let's say you start balding middle age, there's not an option. Do you try to grow your hair out, do the comb over, or do you just shave it off? <laughs> I think it, I think from I've thought about this for myself. Um I think we had we come from good genes. I, both of our grandparents and dad all had pretty thick hair. Um, well, I don't fairly know. late. Mom's uh mom's dad yeah, he had the 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 patch in the back of the head that was yeah. gone. I think if I start recede have a receding hairline, like a significant receding, or the back of the head starts going bald, I think I'm just going to shave it all off. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I'd I'd wait till I'm like to an age to where it looks good because I feel like if you're too young, it's hard. It can be done. People can make it look good, but if you're too young and you go bald, it's hard. So yeah, we went shaved too, off. Go go ahead. No, I think maybe mid 40s. I think at that point is when I'd try to pull it off officially. Yeah. We once shaved off our friend's head in high school. Um, <laughs> we were on this trip and he's just like, hey, just shave my head. And we shaved his head and it was it was truly heinous. Was, <laughs> and he was a he was a big guy. He was like ripped. Yeah. And uh, it did not did not, not go well. great. Um, I no. think it'll be interesting too how this impacts like burn victims because you see people mm, that get yeah. They can't produce any hair, especially if their face gets burned. Right. You know, they'll maybe be bald on like half their head uh, and, you know, uh, like scar tissue. I wonder how this can impact scar mm. tissue. Like if you can rip yeah. hair, uh, hair follicles, like could you somehow, I don't know, use this in, in other areas like with skin cells or, or in situations with burns? Yeah, I don't know. That yeah. would be that would be a great uh, future for it. So, yeah, hopefully. Okay, uh, moving on to another big story this week that you may have seen is uh, from our buddy Mark Cuban. He started a new online pharmacy. This story was actually sent to me by one of my friends. Um, so thanks for thanks for sharing this with me. So the name of the company is Mark Cuban Cost Plus Drug Company, MCCPDC. It's it's kind of a mouthful, and I'll just read a little bit from their website so you can kind of get a gist for like what the purpose of this company is. Uh, this is this is an excerpt from their site. Every American should have access to safe, affordable medicines. If you don't have insurance or have a high deductible plan, you know that even the most basic medications can cost a fortune. Many people are spending crazy amounts of money each month just to stay healthy. No American should have to suffer or worse because they can't afford basic prescription medications. And then he says, kind of moving down a little bit. Our goal is to dramatically reduce the cost of drugs, but we also think that it is just as important to introduce transparency to the pricing of drugs so patients know they're getting a fair price. So what they're doing is they're basically um, buying drugs wholesale from manufacturers, directly from the manufacturers, cutting out the middleman, cutting out the insurance company so they don't accept insurance. And then they've been very transparent about like their profit margins. They're they're offering a, they're doing a 15% markup for, for what they're getting it at plus a $3 pharmacy fee, plus $5 shipping, which ends up being, you know, 10 to 100 times cheaper than than retail and even cheaper than most deductibles or copays. So I'll just go over some of the more drastic examples. There's a drug for leukemia treatment called imatinib, I think is what it's called. The retail price is $9,600 per month. But through their program, they're able to sell it at $47 per month. 
which is just insane. Uh, there, I mean, they have a whole list. I think they have like over a hundred medications. There is, uh, let's see, let me, I'm trying to think, find one that m- more people would know. Zofran, generally retail price is $160 per tablet. They can sell it for, they're able to sell it for $6.30. So significantly cheaper um, because, I mean, they're cutting out the medical man. They're cut, cutting out the the waste and, and all these people trying to get in on a, the poor portion of the profits. And I think there are pros and cons to this. So we have been huge advocates of preventative care on this show. And, you know, ideally, in an ideal world, we provide people with resources and the information and what they need to care for themselves so that that they don't need to be on medication. But there are instances where, you know, medications are necessary and good. Ideally, it's short term. So, you know, for those acute situations where medicine is required, um, it's great that this program can provide medication, hopefully until hopefully temporary so that, that people aren't taking medications chronically. And like type one diabetics, you have to take insulin. Okay, that's just you'll die if you don't. So there are situations where people need to take medicines for long periods of time, but it's extremely expensive. Big Pharma has capitalized on uh, the sick and they are able to charge ungodly amounts of money. They know they're going to get reimbursed from the insurance company. They're going to get paid somehow. So uh, Mark Cuban's company is trying to cut all that out. They're trying to fix this. And they're they're trying to be really transparent, which I appreciate. I think transparency is is always good. Um, that we've talked about it on here a lot. There's a fundamental problem with the healthcare industry, and that is treating symptoms and, and not the root cause. Uh, but sometimes you have to treat the symptoms until you can figure out the root cause. And uh, and I think this is this is going to be a net positive now. I think it's easy to think that that uh, you know Cuban is doing this out of the goodness goodness of his heart, and maybe he is. I, you know, who who are we to judge why he's doing this? Not all billionaires are um, evil Satan worshiping pedophiles, but he's also a businessman. So there could be there could be some deeper incentives at play here, whether that's money or power. You know, I've heard rumors of potentially maybe him running for president in twenty twenty four. Who knows? Um, could could very well be good intentions. Time will tell. Uh, but I but I am curious to see how this is going to pan out and, and kind of hopefully shift the pharmaceutical industry towards more um, more affordable treatments. Yeah, I think why people are drawn to this is the transparency. People really appreciate that. And very few industries have transparency, especially the medical industry. Um, right. So many middlemen. Uh, this is a big, big reason why people want crypto completely transparent. It's just peer to peer. You see all the transactions, whereas like when you use a credit card, there's so many people within in between that transaction getting a cut. Yeah. People don't know what's going on. They just you know swipe their card and hope and you know pay the person. But there's all these other things going on. Pe- people don't know. You know, there's who who's getting what? Like how what is their money going towards exactly? Like how much of it is actually going towards the manufacturing of the product? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, that's why things like cryptocurrency are very appealing to people. There's there's no middleman, you know, taking 25% interest on your money. Mm-hmm. It's just you pay the person and it's over. And you can see a, a record all that of all those transactions where with a credit card company, it's completely locked down. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I hope it I hope it does well. I hope it's actually like saves people money. And um, yeah, may, yeah, maybe it's the, the start to making medication cheaper and, and transparent. Hopefully it is. Yeah. 
All right. Uh, I guess speaking of medicine and transparency, next is a story about um, using CBD, um, like CBD oil, as a potential COVID therapeutic. We had a story about two, three weeks ago about using um, – it was other uh, – Cannabinoids. I guess cannabinoid, yeah, based hemp-based products yeah. that were shown to be a therapeutic for COVID. This is CBD specifically. You can go buy this anywhere, CBD oil, um, CBD's they put it in everything now. Um, it's it's one of those fads that's easy to think of of being a, you know not working because they do put it in everything. You know, like plant based. Everything's plant based. You can buy a plant based condom um, <laughs> just because it says this fad thing doesn't mean it's it's not working. Um, you just have to be careful with what you buy. Some CBD is, is excellent. There's other CBD products that are just there for marketing. But in terms of COVID and CBD. Basically, what started this research is that they found that people who are using there's an FDA approved CBD based drug that epileptic, ep, epileptic patients use to prevent epileptic seizures, and they take a pretty high dosage of the CBD. I believe it is. Um, let me pull it up here in the study. 100 milligrams, which is very high for CBD. Um, I guess, dosage, like if mm -hmm. you were to go to, so Charlotte's Web is a pretty popular CBD oil and one like mega dose with them is 60 milligrams. So the pharmaceutical based drug for epileptic seizures, which is a CBD based drug is hundred milligrams. So it is a lot, but basically they found that the people taking this medication had a significantly, uh, statistically significant negative association with positive COVID tests meaning these people really weren't getting COVID. They weren't at least testing positive for COVID. Um, and it was a significant enough correlation to where they're like, okay, let's look into this. Let's see why, like, is it the medication? Is it the CBD that's preventing these positive COVID tests? Um, and they went to do some testing on it. And it turns out it seemed to, that that was was the, the variable that was causing less COVID tests. Um, mm -hmm. Now to figure out like what actually was going on here, it wasn't that the virus was not entering the cell. It was still entering the cell. It just wasn't replicating. So that's where the CBD came into play. It, it prevented the replication of the virus. So um, very interesting. Um, they This is the very start of the research on it. So I think, I don't know if this is the first study ever that's been done on CBD and COVID, but there certainly will be more because of this finding. Um, now, that's not to go say, go start taking CBD because it will prevent COVID. But if you are currently taking CBD for some other reason, then that's, I keep taking it. Like you, you have another reason to to use it. There are quite a few benefits of CBD oil. Um, so this is potentially another one. Again, you do have to take a very high dose. At least in the study, it was a high dose that had that negative association, 100 milligrams. Um, but very interested to see what happens in the future with this. It looks like a very potentially beneficial therapeutic. Um, so hopefully it continues to be, to show effectiveness. Yeah. And that's exactly what they found with the hemp study that we referred to a few weeks ago that kind of found something similar. I think it was study was done by Oregon state university and it stopped the virus from replicating. So it didn't, it didn't develop into a severe case. So mm -hmm. th that's what these two in the, in the previous study we referenced uh, did the same thing. So it's interesting to see that CBD does 
does the same thing. Now, I remember in our old, the other study, it broke down under heat and it didn't work under heat. So you can mm. smoke it. I don't know how the CBD situation, if it's similar, but yeah, um, yeah I, I think it's it's interesting to see like how some of these common compounds may may help, not just COVID, but like other virus replication as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. Um, okay. Another story that uh, we came across this week was a study that looked at two different forms of treatment for depression, non-traditional uh, medication alternatives for depression. So no like, you know, anti-depression, no SSRI medication. And so these two therapeutics they were looking at was ketamine therapy, which is one we've also discussed in the past, and then electroconvulsive therapy. So electroconvulsive therapy. Now, when you hear this, when I hear this, I think of John Nash being strapped to a table and shocked like out of the scene from a beautiful mind. That's actually how they used to do it. The the people who were engaging in this kind of uh, treatment, it was kind of a last resort treatment experimental for mental health disorders like schizophrenia and, and stuff. And they would keep the people awake and then they would send high, they'd electrocute them. Um, not to the point of death, but like they would basically give them brain damage from uh, electricity. Now, they've obviously modified this treatment. Now, these procedures are done under general anesthesia so that the patients aren't awake and they're done in small electrical currents that pass through the brain, um, which supposedly actually trigger a brief seizure and that's supposed to kind of uh, reset or reverse some of the, the brain chemistry that causes like mental health conditions like depression. This therapy is often not used until other alternative treatments have proven to 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 fail. Um, so again, it's still not like a go to treatment because there are still some risks with uh, specifically like amnesia. But so it's so it's not a treat a therapy that people race to when it comes to depression. But what I thought was interesting is they compared uh, electroconvulsive therapy, also referred to as ECT, against ketamine therapy, which has also been recently proven to reduce symptoms of depression. They took 186 patients, they split them up. One half went to did the ketamine therapy, and then the other half did the uh, ECT uh, for I think like 12 sessions, and then they followed them for 12 months. And it was interesting, the electroconvulsive therapy, so 63% of the people that engaged in that type of therapy, um, they, the, the depression was re remitted. So basically the symptoms of a depression were gone, 63% for electroconvulsive therapy, 46% for ketamine. So electroconvulsive seemed to be more effective. However, ECT therapy had more side effects. So... Mm -hmm. One, I was like 23 of the 90 people who did electroconvulsive therapy had long-term amnesia. Ooh, okay. Like persisting. I think some some of them were like, I think three of those, they were able, their amnesia recover over the course of 12 months. But like at 12 months, there was like still like 20 people that had some memory issues, which is not, I mean, not great. Uh, and then most of the like side effects with ketamine were not as severe. It was uh, like vertigo. Some people had blurred vision. Some people did have anxiety, but there wasn't really any mem memory loss with ketamine. 
But ECT, for those that it worked, uh, electroconvulsive therapy seemed to be more effective. And then in terms of like relapse rates, what's what's really frustrating or, or sad about depression is that it seems to always come back at the end of 12 months, like uh, 70% of those on ketamine relapsed, like basically started to, to go back into a depression. 63% in the ECT group went back. So ECT, again, still seemed to be more effective in the long term, but both had case, a lot, significant cases of remission. So I don't know. These are these alternative treatments. Um, I'm not sure I would try the electroconvulsive therapy if this was something I was going through. It does seem to be eff effective, but it does have <laughs> some some pretty significant side effects. Um, and I think that specifically, again, is used in situations where the depression is debilitating. You're at high risk for suicide or self-harm. Other treatments don't seem to, to work. Um, for me, like I would probably opt for, for ketamine, even though this electroconvulsive therapy seems to be more effective. But again, if you're in a situation where it's life-threatening, this could be, this could be an alternative treatment. Yeah. I know ketamine therapy is becoming pretty mainstream. Like there's quite a few companies who are doing this. Um, so yeah, I don't think there are any places probably that offer ECT. Do you know, can you go get it done somewhere? Um, I mean, you'd have to go through a doctor that does it. And I think, again, it's a last resort where yeah. you're typical. We, although, I don't know, like SSRIs have terrible side effects. Like a lot of the mm -hmm. side effects, we, ironically, a lot of the side effects for depression medications is risk of suicide, which is like, mm -hmm. isn't that kind of the yeah. whole thing you're trying to avoid? So yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's it, there really is no win-win. Um, but I do I do think that, yeah, ketamine is showing some efficacy, which is, is good to see. Yeah. Yeah, there's, again, another area that's really been highly studied over the past decade or so. And I think with the increased or elevated awareness around kind of mental health over the past five years, this will continue to be studied more and more. So, um, yeah, I know ketamine mm -hmm. therapy is becoming mainstream, and I'm sure other routes of, of therapy will start to emerge as well. I don't know if ECT will be the one to take, but <laughs> potentially maybe, maybe they'll find a way to make it safer. Who knows? Yeah, we'll see. So I don't know if you've you know been online lately. You see on Instagram or TikTok, hot chocolate bombs are like a big popular thing. It's you take this big ball of chocolate, throw it in a hot cup of water, and it you know it melts and turns into like a hot chocolate. It's incredible to me how Gen Zers are getting paid millions of dollars on TikTok to just drop a ball of chocolate into a cup. And if that's not a sign that that the empire is crumbling, I don't know what is. But people like their hot chocolate, especially during the winter months. Uh, I'm in Ohio right now, and it's single digits. It's perfect time for hot chocolate. Problem is, Swiss Miss and Nesquik are, they're basically just sugar. It's basically diabetes in a mug. And I don't think any of you want that. So a great alternative is the new Element Mint Chocolate Flavor. Now, we've promoted the fruity flavors a lot. A lot of you I know have, have bought some of the fruity flavors. So this is very different, may sound gross, but it's actually really good. And you don't drink this cold. I have not treated, tried to drink this cold. You drink it hot. You treat it like a hot chocolate. Um, it tastes like a hot chocolate. It's kind of a perfect blend of sweet and salty. Great alternative to uh, a hot chocolate bomb. It's got a, a hint of mint flavor. And when I drink it, I think of a hot, it, it tastes to me like a hot chocolate. Probably not as, definitely not as sweet as like a Swiss Miss. But you're getting a nice warm cup of, a hot chocolate flavor, 
while replenishing your electrolytes. Now, you probably won't get TikTok famous from this, but you know, at least you can avoid um, future insulin prescription. So check it out, drinklmd.com slash health hack. Uh, it's really good. And this will only be for a limited time. I don't think they're going to continue this past the winter months. So get your hands on it now. Um, stock up. It's good stuff. All right. That is a wrap on the headlines of the week. Next is uh, the article fail of the week, which was a good one. It was about breakfast cereal. So, Andy, do you want to talk us through what you found here? Yeah, so you and I have always been into cereal as kids. Like we loved eating cereal. That was like our go-to morning. That was our go-to breakfast and our go-to snack at night. And <laughs> as I've become more health conscious, I've tried to cut out the cereal. But it's, it is still my go-to self-loathing activity. Mm-hmm. I don't drink alcohol anymore. I don't need a ton of sweets. But like after a long, stressful day, you know, when I'm in the dumps, cereal <laughs> is my my personal form of abuse. Um <laughs> There's nothing, nothing quite like eating an entire box of Reese's Puffs right before bed. <laughs> it, it, it is the ultimate form of, of self-loathing. But if you get your news from places like Eat This, Not That, then you'll hear that this is actually good for your heart. So I see these studies all the time. There was one that put out this week. It was called the number one best cereal to lower your cholesterol, dietitians say. So, you know, you know you're getting the best information. Um, it's a fiber-rich it's fiber rich and can be jazzed with healthy fruits. And so they go on, they cite two studies um, basically saying that eating whole grain cereal can lower your cholesterol. Study one was from 1998. It made the claim that eating cereal can reduce your LDL cholesterol, you know, quote unquote, the bad cholesterol by 4.2% and total cholesterol by 3.8%. All right. And then the second study was from 2019. And that claimed that oats can reduce your cholesterol um, due to the, the beta glucan glucan in the oats. Um, supposedly that binds to the cholesterol uh, and, and helps you get rid of it, um, lower, thereby lowering your cholesterol. And we, we, you hear this so much. Great way to lower c- cholesterol. Number one, people say avoid saturated fats, which we did a whole episode on why that's garbage. Go check that out. It's our carnivore episode, October of 2020, I think. And, um, and then, you know, the next thing is eat, you know, whole grains. Couple problems with this. Um, I mean, you could do, I, I mean, entire books have been written on this, but couple, couple problems with this. Number one is that, and we talk about this in our cholesterol episode, which I highly recommend you listen to because we go dig in deep with like cholesterol markers. LDL is not a good marker for heart health. It just isn't. You look at, you actually get into this, the research. It is not a good predictor of heart health and it has yet to be proven to cause plaque buildup. But that's what everyone says is the more LDL you have, the more likely you are to have plaque buildup. That's just, it's not true. If you actually dig into the data, data has been manipulated. It's, it's been skewed to, to show that. And it's just not a good marker of heart, heart health. What's better is triglycerides, HDL. And if you're looking at LDL, LDL particle number, that's actually a way better measure of, uh, of heart health. But those are, are hardly ever discussed. And if you look at these studies, they didn't look at those. And I think in, actually, I think in one of them, they did look at HDL, but like it didn't change. I, HDL and triglycerides didn't change a significant amount, which, you know, you want your triglycerides low, your HDL high. Um, and that ratio is actually important for heart health, but they don't look at that. All they do is like, look at this bad cholesterol, this, you know, 
quote unquote bad cholesterol LDL. And um, and even then, the LDL barely changed in the study. Like 4.2% is like hardly anything. So I think there's a big misconception around cholesterol, especially like when it comes to, to studies like this. They're focusing on one aspect of it that is not a good metric. Another bad thing about, I think, this talk or these recommendations is that like whole grain foods are very carbohydrate dense and they're generally crap processed foods like cereal and oats cereal is just a processed food i mean i guess maybe if you're just getting uh cheerios maybe you're just getting like the whole grains but like essentially you're you're normally getting some type of added sugar and some type of oils which are garbage in addition to you know the, a, a high dose of carbs which may spike insulin and blood sugar um, which makes you even more hungry throughout the day. And it's just really not a good form of nutrients. It's, uh, whole grains in general, but like especially in the form of cereal, which is why it blows my mind that these articles, you see them all the time recommending cereal to lower your cholesterol. Like, I mean, at least recommend oats. That's at least somewhat, I can maybe buy into that. But again, a lot of these very high in carbs, not everyone handles carbs the same way. Not saying that eating oats is, is bad for everyone, but again, it has the potential to spike your blood sugar, which is not how you want to set up your day. So that's another problem with like this recommendation for grain products. And then finally, both of these studies were funded by big food companies. First study that claimed cereal can reduce your cholesterol was funded by General Mills, which is one of the biggest cereal brands. The second study that claimed oats can reduce your cholesterol was was written by PepsiCo employees and funded by PepsiCo, which owns Quaker Oats. So both of these had a financial stake in the results of the study. Not saying that always influences it, but but like you do got to follow the money with some of these studies. So all this together, it's just garbage. It's just garbage advice. And this is the kind of information that's that's going out there in the mainstream. And And what's funny is like the article was saying, oh, if you want to like, uh, if you want to make it healthier, add some fruit. It's like, how about you just eat fruit then for breakfast? Like, why even add in? They, they talk about uh, another thing that I didn't even write in the newsletter that, that we also talked about in our episode is uh, fiber. They're fiber-rich foods. That's kind of how they're advertised. Like, But you can get fiber. First of all, there's debate whether you actually need fiber. Carnivore people can argue about that. But like, you can get fiber from other foods, from vegetables. So... There's just no really good argument for eating cereal for heart health. It's just, it's mind blowing to me. Yeah, Cheerios has been living the high of this, uh, probably this 1998 study showing that it can reduce LDL. Um, they've been living that for years. I mean, look at all their boxes of like the Honey Nut Cheerios. Like they have Honey Nut Cheerios like shaped in hearts because it's heart, heart healthy. And like all the Honey Nut Cheerio boxes are just plastered in how it's a good cereal for your heart. It's going to improve your cholesterol. It's going to improve your longevity. And it's just like, it's bonkers. If Like think you're looking at the ingredients and all the sugar in there. And then it's like, oh, this is good for your heart. It's like, no, nah, I don't know about that. Yeah. Well, and like, look at the history that's been recommended for how many years mm -hmm. and look at what has happened with heart health, even though that those foods have increased substantially, like in as mm -hmm. part of our diet, look what yeah. ha has happened to our health. It's just, it makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah, breakfast cereal is not uh, not the best thing for your heart. 
just uh, occasional naughty is okay, which is what we kind of indulge in every once in a while. Um, mm -hmm. But it's not uh, not the ideal breakfast. All right, let's uh, let's wrap things up here with our weekly plug. Um, I'll I'll I guess start us off here with a book that I am just about finished with. It is called. This is kind of not as much health related, but more I guess personal development slash career related. It all, it all comes together with your health. Um, it's a book called So Good They Can't Ignore You. It's by the same guy who wrote Digital Minimalism, which is about taking a break from tech. So kind of the same realm of topic there if you're interested in that. But basically, he gets into a very interesting topic that goes contrary to what we see everywhere. Everywhere you go and all over social media, you're told, you know, follow your passion. Just do what you love. Find what you love. And you'll be happy if you just find what you do if you find a job that you enjoy you're going to be happy um and he kind of goes against the argument saying that that's not necessarily true first of all it's very hard to do that it's very hard to find something you're passionate about often people are very passionate about something for a very short period of time um you get kind of really motivated about something you want to go all in and then that passion fades um, no passion is going to live a lifetime you're going to have your ups and downs. So first of all, he makes the argument against why doing something that you're passionate about isn't go isn't the, the key to making you happy. Um, his argument is that finding something that you are good at, finding something that like where you can add value back to the world, um, that's where you find true true fulfillment. And if you th if you think about the things in your life that you do, you you enjoy doing things you're good at. Like nobody likes to do something they, they suck at. It's not fun. But when you find something you're good at, like it's fun. Like you you enjoy doing work that you're good at or just doing things that you're good at, things that you know about. That's where you find fulfillment. And he's making that argument that in your career, not like don't make passion the number one thing. Make your skill the number one thing. Find something that you're really good at. And over time, because you're good at it, that evolves into a passion. So it's a really interesting take on a career. So if you're kind of in shambles of your career if you're looking for a career change um it seems like everybody in their 20s and 30s is uh it's a good book so um check that out yeah no that's good i'll, I'll have to read that one i, I do think that that is like, finding what you're passionate about obviously that's it, it's good to be passionate but you can't just like leave skill to the mm -hmm. side there's this concept i yeah. can't remember if i mentioned it on the podcast before called ikigai uh it's like a, a japanese concept meaning a reason for being and it's I K I G A I. And it's finding a combination. It's finding the center of these four things, what you love, what you're good at, what you can be paid for and what the world needs where mm. those four things collide. That's your yeah. you know, ikigai, your reason for being. And, um, it, it's easy to just focus on one of those, but if you can find where those things converge, then I think that's right. where you're really going to be happy. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Uh, kind of sw switching gears more over to, to a, a fitness big recommendation for me is knees over toes guy. Uh, this guy's name is Ben Patrick. I've mentioned him on the show before and he has come up with a, uh, I guess a, a, a therapy program for healing knees and it's, it's, uh, advice that is not conventional. We've always been told, keep your toes behind your knees. And that actually is not good advice and does not, uh, is not supported by evidence. And his whole thing is get your knees over your toes. And he has all these different ways to strengthen your legs from the from the ankles up and all these muscles that we don't work to create rock solid bulletproof knees. He's got like 60, 70 year olds that can go into a full squat. Um, 
with no problem and have have gone from he he was a actually just go listen to his uh appearance on joe rogan he goes through his whole story um like well i guess saying joe rogan is now controversial but uh <laughs> he had a good he, he was finally on joe rogan i he's been trying to get on there for a while i think and he goes through his whole story and his program and it's awesome go youtube instagram um got a got a his all his programs there so check it out knees over toes guy it's changed my knees my knees feel great um definitely recommend if you have knee problems all right that is a wrap for this week thank you guys for listening hope you all have a great week and we'll be back again next week with another episode